child stuff. And so um, we need some Operation Christmas Child volunteers. We are a hub for collection for the whole area. And so we need some volunteers. And then today we'd also invite you to grab a box. And we'll be continuing to talk about this over the next couple weeks. But it's another way we get to go together as a body. And we are grateful for that opportunity. So I'm going to bring up Brad because now we get to talk a little bit more about how we go. Thank you, Vicki. Hello, everybody. How are you? You look so rested, so grateful for that. You all look better than you did last week. <laughs> uh, my name is Brad Kendall. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, we will not be doing Q&A. We don't do that on the first Sunday of the month, but we will... Uh, Actually, we're not doing it next week either. We often do Q&A. We're not doing it today. If you're new, uh, as you've heard, we uh, have been a part of the Matthew 25 Challenge. The Matthew 25 Challenge is a week-long journey that we have gone with world vision and uh, in solidarity with the Spirit of Christ and those in need around the world. And I'm going to invite the Dolan family to come up and share with us a little bit about their particular journey this particular week. So if, you're, if you don't know what the Matthew 25 challenge is, you're going to learn right now. So give them a big round of applause. So before you, we have, uh, uh, we have Drew, we have Ari, we have Gina, we have Rob. Rob is one of our church council members, so if you have any complaints, talk to Rob right after the service. Uh, so... Um, Rob and Gina, this past week, let's see, we, on Monday, we skipped a meal, and then we had rice and beans for dinner. Uh, on Tuesday, what did we do? Only water. Only water. On Wednesday, we slept on the floor. Thursday, we wore the same clothes like I always do. Um, on Friday... Pray for someone, reach out to someone, serve them in need. Okay, very good. And... Um, uh, Rob and Gina, why in the world did you inflict this upon your family? Well, first of all, I dare anyone to be able to say no to tone. <laughs> <laughs> but um, in all seriousness, um, twofold. First, um, we felt that it was a great teaching tool for our children um, just to be able to learn that not everyone in the world gets their needs met. And we often talk about how we spend our money and um, talking through that in the Matthew 25 challenge was, was a great way to do this. And also as adults, um, to reflect on how we spend or give the resources that God has gifted to us. And um, we often rush through our lives, and we do this every day, and just having a time to reflect on it. And as a church, I thought it was a good opportunity. Awesome. Now, uh, let me ask uh, Ari, Drew, what was the hardest part for you this week? Skipping a meal. Skipping a meal, yes. Yes. Are you going to do that this week? Maybe not? Okay. All right. Well, you, you had that one step. How about, how about you, Ari? Skipping a meal. Skipping a meal, too. Okay. What was there? Was there any part of it that was fun? Was, was there a fun day part? No? <laughs> no? That's all right. All right. All right. Sleeping on the floor. Sleeping on the floor, okay. Think of the money your parents are going to save because they get to sell your beds now. <laughs> no, that's, I, I shouldn't make light of that. People don't have beds. Forgive me. Um, uh, Rob, 
uh, maybe you could tell us where you saw Jesus this week. Um, so, <clears throat> actually, the very first day, um, I skipped lunch, and I don't do much breakfast usually. I'm not a breakfast person, so I was really hungry. Um, and during lunch, I, I always I read through the Bible. Uh, and on that day, happened to have Psalm 146. Uh, and in part of that, it talks about how God feeds the hungry, and he um, is the, the champion for the, the fatherless and the widow. And that just, you know, struck me. It's like, this is exactly why we're going through this, is to, you know, help, to help us empathize a little bit better with what does it mean to be hungry? What does it mean to not have a closet full of clothes? What does it mean to not have a, a warm, comfortable house? Um, and so that just <clears throat> really hit me. Um, and then I thought about the, everybody else who's doing this with me at the same time. And, you know, it's kind of like, as a church, we're taking some steps here in solidarity with each other. And now how do I do this outside of the church? Mm. So it was kind of a, I guess, a hit to the head. <laughs> Very good. All right. Well, it was a good journey, wasn't it? I, I was edified by it as well. I know a lot of you were. Thank you so much. Give the Dolan family a round of applause. So, uh, the Matthew 25 challenge is taken from a book of the Bible called Matthew, right. And in the 25th chapter, uh, there is this interesting parable slash story about final judgment. And uh, we remember a lot of things. If you know this story, we remember sheep, goats, we remember the phrase, least of these. What I would like you to wrestle with this morning is this question, which comes from the passage, do you want to see Jesus? Okay? Um, do you want to see Jesus? Let's pray about seeing Jesus, and then we'll go forward. Holy God, <coughs> deep down, we all want to see you. And I pray, Lord, that you would now, through the power of your Spirit and the power of your Word, that you would open our eyes to see the wonderful truths that you would like us to know today so that we might not miss you. In your name we pray, amen. So do you want to see Jesus? It's, it's a really important question, isn't it? Um, is there something in the scriptures that would help us, specifically Matthew 25, that would help each of us see Jesus, the risen Lord? Uh, if you would, turn in your Bibles. I'd like to look at this passage again. We've looked at it a number of times, and I hope you don't feel like you know it completely because there's an eternal truth in this that we're never going to fully uh, find the bottom of. That's the way God's truth is. You just continue to, to deepen in it. And I would like today for us uh, to live with this question, when did we see you? You'll see it on the screen. When did we see you? That question is asked in this text. In fact, I'm going to read the text again. And I, every time we come in the text to this phrase, this question, when did we see you, that's your line. All right? So we're going to do it together. And if you, if you haven't pulled out your Bible or grabbed, or grabbed uh, uh, a, uh, your phone or anything to look at the text, um, do so now because I'd love for all of us to, to say this line together. In fact, let's try it once. On the count of three, when did we see you? One, two, three. When did we 
Yeah, and maybe even make sure there's a question mark because we want, we want to sound like we want to see him. So, Lord, when did we see you? All right, here it comes. Starting with verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was, an I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink. A stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you. Sick or in prison and go to visit you. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison, and did not help you. He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. All right. So what I want to do is I want us to live with that question in this service. Lord, when did we see you? I mean, the very nature of the question assumes a sighting, doesn't it? I mean, think it, turn it around. Okay, Lord, clearly, clearly you were there, so where? Have you ever said to someone, no, 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 I was there. I didn't see you. I was there. I saw you. <laughs> Maybe you didn't see me, but I was there. I saw you. This text implies that Jesus is seeable. And most of us would like to see Jesus, if Jesus is seeable. Why? Well, isn't it because we believe if we see him, something actually might change in us? I mean, think about it. If Jesus is God, if God is love, and Jesus is God, then Jesus is love. And wouldn't we like to see what love looks like? And wouldn't we like to see what God looks like? According to this text, Jesus is seeable. 
how might we see him? I mean, clearly it's possible to miss him, even though he's present. So if you're a note-taker, I would ask you to turn your uh, worship folder around. On the back side, you'll see some notes. I'll help you follow along. And we're going to start here. Seeing Jesus requires truth. Yeah, not only uh, do we have to know who Jesus is, we have to know what he looks like, right? When did we see you, Jesus? You say you were there. Okay, clearly we missed you. Can you give us some sort of truth that will help us always recognize you. Now, back in my college days, uh, I went to school in Malibu, California. And Malibu is the the home of a lot of people in the entertainment industry. And at that time, in the late 80s, uh, Sean Penn and Madonna were married. So I'm at this outdoor mall having lunch with a friend, and my friend says, look, there's Sean Penn and Madonna. And I'm like, where? He's like, right there. And I'm like, huh, look at that. Now, it wasn't that my eyes were closed all that time. It's just simply, I wasn't expecting to see Sean Penn and Madonna. In fact, my eyes had probably crossed right over them. Now, I was, I'd seen Sean Penn and Madonna. I'd seen them in a little box, <laughs> in a TV. I'd seen them on screen. But I wasn't expecting to see them, so it was very easy to miss them. And isn't that the way it is with God? We so often move through life not expecting to see Him, and so when we don't, we're not surprised. But that doesn't mean that God's not there, right? It doesn't mean we couldn't see God in Christ if we knew the truth about how to recognize him. And truth very often needs to be shown. You, didn't, you weren't born knowing 2 plus 2 equals 4. Someone had to show that to you. Jesus says, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these uh, brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. If you turn it around, he's basically telling you, I'm telling you the truth. You saw me when you served the least of these. Do you want to see Jesus? His truth tells us that he is seeable in the least of these. What else does God's truth tell us about his value of the least of these? Over 2,000 times in the scriptures, it talks about God's value of those in need. Let's read three passages together. We'll read them out loud. Here's the first one. And if you spend yourselves... On behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God's Word is the truth about who God is. What's He like? What He cares about? God's truth tells us that God is passionate 
about the least of these. God's truth tells us that God is somehow present in the least of these. So do you want to see Jesus? Well, truly, He's told us He can be seen in those whom He passionately loves. Secondly, seeing Jesus requires relationship. If we go back to Matthew 25, the scene is the scene of last judgment. And guess what? All the nations are gathered before the throne of Christ, which means all of us are gathered before the throne of Christ. Every person who has ever lived is there. Everyone's there. And Jesus is telling everyone present, guess what? I was seeable for all (laughs) y'all. But the implication of the parable is those who fed the hungry. And those who gave a cup of water to the thirsty, welcomed the stranger, clothed the naked, visited the imprisoned, those were the ones who, those, those who served the least of these are the ones who were the ones, those were the ones declared righteous. Those were the ones to be declared in the right. Now, righteous is a very Bible word. What does it mean? Uh, if, you, if you go through this, uh, if you go on Google, you can find different definitions for biblical righteousness. I'm going to make it really simple. Here's biblical righteousness. Righteous equals right relationship. Jesus says the whole of the law can be summed up in love of God and love of others. And so, righteousness, to be declared right, is to love God and to love others, to be in right relationship. That's not righteousness according to a good chunk of the world, but that is, I would say, biblical righteousness. The ones who had the right relationship with Jesus on Judgment Day were the ones who had a deeper, a deeper give and take, a deeper relationship with the least of these. King Josiah of Judah in the Old Testament was declared righteous. He was a righteous king. Look what Jeremiah says of him. Read this with me if you would. He defended the cause of the poor and needy, and so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord. If you turn that a a different way, God's saying, hey, what does it mean to know me? Well, Defend the cause of the poor and needy. You want to know me? Okay. Defend the cause of the poor and needy. When you defend the cause of the poor and needy, you will come to know not only the poor and needy, you'll come to know me. Make your relationship with the poor and needy a relationship that is intimate, where you love them the way you love me put it one more way, can you, can you really have an accurate picture of Jesus? Can you really see Jesus without seeking a Christ-like relationship with the poor and needy? Put it one more, one more different way. Can you really have a right relationship with me if you are cruel to my children? Well, of course not. I mean, you could say, Pastor Brad, I really love you. I hate your kids. Well, no, that's not going to work. <laughs> you can't know me without loving my kids. If you really want to know me, you have to love my kids. You can't, and, and if they're in need, you just say, well, I don't hate your kids. I, I, I just don't really care that much about them. Well, then you don't know me because I care a lot about them. You see how this works? There has to be a relationship in this deal. 
We have to love God, but we also have to love those He loves. If we want to see Jesus, there has to be a relationship. Third, uh, so seeing Jesus requires truth is the first thing. Second is relationship. Thirdly, seeing Jesus requires desire. Now, I'm lying about that. That's the wrong answer. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a strike through that. Because so, isn't, isn't this so often the way we want it? Truth, I'll give you that, Pastor. Okay, relationship, okay. And, and, and the rest, it's just, can it be accomplished on, on my desire? I just want to see them. Well, no, that's not the way relationships work. No, thirdly, seeing Jesus requires action. Isn't that the way life works? And here's where so many of our attempts to see and experience Jesus, they, they fall short. We want to see Jesus while remaining a Christian couch potato. Right? We want to see Jesus, but we don't want to really have to invest any time or energy, right? We don't want to invest in those he cares about. And then we get frustrated because we're like, well, I'm not really seeing Jesus. 1 John 3 is helpful here. Let's read this together. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. When did we see you, Jesus? Well, you saw me when your inaction actually became action on behalf of those whom I love so deeply. And, it, you know, it's not that the goats in Matthew 25 weren't in the presence of Jesus. Have you thought about that? I mean, they were in the presence of Jesus, both the sheep and the goats. The only difference is the sheep took action and the goats did not. They might have had a desire to see Jesus, but that desire was not turned into action. And so much of our Christian life is like that, you know? It's kind of, uh, okay, I go to church, I'm in a small group. I go to church, I'm in a small group. I go to church, I'm in a small group. And we kind of stop there. I call this leaving a man on third. Okay, and if you're a baseball fan, you know what I'm talking about. If you're not a baseball fan, I'll explain it. Um, leaving a man on third is, is essentially ending that half of the inning with potential for transformation for your team, but really no transformation. Because leaving a man on third really doesn't accomplish anything for the game, all right? Uh, so think of it this way. If, if, if you're, as a church, we get excited, someone steps up to the plate of faith, and, and they put their faith in Christ, and they head on uh, onto first base, and we should applaud, we should be very excited when someone puts their faith in Jesus. And then we should be very excited when that runner rounds first and starts heading to second. They're going to Alpha, they're part of a Discovery Bible experience, they're part of a small group. You know, somehow they're growing in God's Word. And then if they start heading to third, maybe they're taking the shape classes, discovering that God has wired them uh, for, for, for servanthood and ministry, and they've made it all the way to third. Oh, praise God, that is awesome. We don't want to end the inning there, though, do we? No. We want that person 
to cross home plate. It's only when they cross home plate that we stand up and cheer because we have a run and some sort of transformation in the game is happening, right? We can't leave people on third base. You, if you want to see Jesus, you can't hang out on, you can't stay on first or second or third base forever. The real transformation comes in heading home and using those gifts to serve others. We can't just gather and grow. We got to go. Got to go home. World Vision has been participating in providing pathways for people in the body of Christ to take simple, practical ways to go. Watch this. My name is Debbie. My home is Zambia. My dad's name is Obi. He is a good dad. He tells me about the time when I was very young. There was little hope then. My dad says he would always pray for change to come. If you came to my house today, you wouldn't even believe this is the same place. I live in a beautiful home surrounded by my family and friends. We have hope. The reason for the huge change in my family's life is a few years ago, children began to be sponsored. Soon, I was sponsored myself. It didn't take long to see the difference. There is now clean water steps away from my front door and plenty of food to eat. I go to school every day. I think I want to be a teacher when I get bigger. Sponsorship is the way God answered our hardship and prayers. Because I was sponsored, life for my friends has also changed in great ways. For my best friend Brenda and her grandmother, sponsorship means that they can have good, clean water. She was afraid of getting water before because during the rainy season, the stream was very deep and she could have drowned. The water was dirty and would make her sick. But even though she hasn't found a sponsor yet, she has good water just like me. One of the kids in my village is Adam. He might have the biggest <laughs> smile in Zambia. Adam just turned five, but still has trouble with his stomach. And even though he isn't sponsored yet, he can go to the clinic to get the help he needs. For my classmate Beatrice, my sponsorship means that her father and others like him received help to grow food. He's a farmer and through savings groups, he saved money to buy equipment to care for his fields. Beatrice never goes hungry and her father can save for her future now. And for my neighbor Lightwell, he loves to read. Because of sponsorship, he's one of the best readers in my whole village. All the kids get to attend a reading camp where we get extra time of learning. Lightwell can't wait for the class each week. Education guarantees our future. Death used to be common in my village. It almost killed our hope. But now the five of us have something else in common. Life. I 
I got to travel uh, <clears throat> with World Vision on a vision trip to Africa in uh, the mid-2000s, 2005, 2006, somewhere around there. And uh, if you're wondering right now, well, I don't know, how do I know this, this deal's legit? I've been on the ground there, and it's a legit deal. Uh, fascinating thing. I don't know if you, any of you know of Nicholas Kristof. He's a columnist for the New York Times, not a Christian. Uh, Kristof, what he does is he flies all over the world. He's, he's, he's in war-torn, poverty-stricken areas, and he has numerous times, this non-Christian, numerous times in his column in the New York Times has said when he gets to those war-torn, poverty-stricken areas, who's there? World Vision. So let me ask you something. Is it possible that you could take the truth that Jesus is seeable in the least of these and that you could uh, move toward a deeper relationship with Christ in the least of these by taking some action this morning. I know what your gather is. You're here. (laughs) I hope you're part of some sort of grow, but what is your go? Do you have a go? I love what Pastor Paul Murphy uh, did. So Pastor Paul Murphy used to be a pastor here. He wrote a book. He has this great equation. I'll use it for the rest of my ministry. I just think it's brilliant. Uh, He puts it this way. Transformation equals truth plus relationship plus action. If you take one of those things out of that equation, uh, you really don't have full transformation. Isn't it transformation that we all want? We want to see the living God because we want to be changed. We want to become people who love well. And we want to be a part of God's transformation of this world. And so we need each part of this equation. So what's your go? You know, maybe, maybe this is the day where... You walk out these doors, and you go to the World Vision booth, and you say, I want to sponsor a child. Or, and or, you just continue down the hall, you take an Operation Christmas Child box. That's a great, these are simple steps that anyone in this room probably can do. Next week, we're going to have our Go Fair, which will tell you a little bit about what we're doing around the world, but also a lot of what we're doing here in uh, the United States, helping us go. There are all different types of go that you can be a part of. I'm going to leave what your go is to you and the Holy Spirit, but I do want you to have a go. We can't create disciples who don't go, right? We all need to go. Final thought, there's a whole world out there looking at the church, looking at Local churches like us. And all those people out there, they want to see Jesus too. And they, they look at those in need, and they often, I would very likely say, uh, say that they see Jesus in the least of these. And they want to see Jesus in us, serving the least of these. What they so often see, if I may just be provocative, they so often see our politics, our bickering, our hypocrisy. What they want is us to take our time, our gifts, our money, and put it all where our mouth is and serve the least of these. 
Because that's what disciples of Jesus do. We go. Let's pray. Holy God, we are so grateful for the clarity of your word. It is so specific, God. You, you've, taken, <clears throat> you've taken your word, and with the power of your Holy Spirit, you've branded this word on our hearts. We can't get away from it, and it's good. We have nothing to be afraid of. You've promised us that when we serve, we participate with you, and we see you. And so I pray, God, that we would see more deeply who you are, that, our, that your truth would mean intimate, meaningful relationships here and across the world with brothers and sisters in Christ, and those yet to be brothers and sisters in Christ, and that our actions would be the actions of you so that when people see Faith Covenant Church, they see you. We are completely unable to do this without the power of your Spirit, so we ask Holy Spirit to give us this power, and knowing you will give that power, we proceed in faith. And we are grateful, God, that you will transform us. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.